focus. This is Quaid, your host, with also your host, Nick. We are in a different car. It sounds quieter, so it might be better for the audio. And we are on our way to Dune. So doing a little, little, uh, you know, what we're expecting type shit that we've done. Yeah. On Tenet, 007. So I have not read the book. Yeah, did you read the book? Or did I, you I did. The book? Yeah, I have read the book. Um, I have the book on my table. Um, I want to read it, and I'll probably read it right after this. But I had a thought today okay. about what one major prediction about what what's this what's going to happen. Okay, is I don't think it's going to be the entire book. I just was thinking about that to hit me today. Well, I think they're going to do they're going to essentially cut up the book into different like two, three, four movies. Okay, I think that's going to happen. So, yeah. Well, I was looking on AMC and it was said it was two and a half hours long and that was one of my thoughts was like how are they going to fit yeah, this whole thing into one movie because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of important notes in the movie where like it's not just like oh this has a fluffy section that you can cut yeah you know um, but another thing that I'm actually worried about is just like you know um, how a lot of the more complex, like, philosophical points that are kind of just breezed over in the books are going to be presented in the movie. Yeah, because they're, you're in the mind's eye, right? Right, and, right. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about that as well, because that's one thing, you know, I haven't read the book, but I have listened <clears throat> to audiobook excerpts on YouTube, and I have, uh, do you want me to hold it? Yeah, sure. hold it. <laughs> I've listened to audiobook excerpts, and I have... Uh, like read a lot of uh, excerpts mm-hmm. and you know it's dripping with aphorisms we've talked about this but it's right. dripping with like sort of philosophical insight uh, in these great little one to three sentence lines but they're all <clears throat> in the heads of people most of them you know? right right and that's going to be really interesting in how you can portray well, that cinematic. knowing Denny Villeneuve I'm, I, my prediction is that he's not going to say any of it yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's just gonna which I think I think is the right choice, right? Is to just let the actors do that part. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and like what I'm guessing is that like a lot of these philosophical, you know, insights are gonna come out through the actor's performance. Yeah, yeah. Right? The which like photography, all of the filmmaking Yeah, exactly. Techniques. Exactly. Um but I think that like Letting those kind of, especially when you're doing it like a book to film adaptation, letting those kind of things just like inform the actor's performance and inform a lot of the techniques used for the treatment. You know, um, I think that's the best way to do it because like you're not trying to replace the book, right? Yeah. And the book is going to have value in that it, it can get a lot more um, direct with what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas films are always going to have that. Um, uh, like more more vague air to a lot of the more specific moments right mm-hmm. and um, obviously though the strength that it has is that like you know you get to see these things in human action right it's yeah. not just in your head so um, you get more of this like external quality which I think is really um, really interesting you know um, and that's what I'm most excited to see because um, Dune is such like a internal book yeah you know it like very much happens within the 
within the minds of several characters. Yeah, it's omniscient right. third person, right? Right, Where right. You can literally jump characters' perspectives in, in, in a scene. Yeah, yeah. Omniscient third unique. or far third. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, like having having this in a film, like what I what I kind of um, expect from Denise, like just especially like watching something like um, Enemy, right? makes me think that he's probably going to just let it be. I agree. <clears throat> that said, I would not be upset if he did voiceover because yeah, I like voiceover and talented filmmakers and voiceover go together so well. <laughs> yeah, things like Terrence yeah. Malick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or thing of like Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think voiceover often works best when it... Organically, like, originally, when you do it with in mind. I mean, there, there's... There's two different types, like, broadly, right? Which is, like, one is, like, literally within the character's mind. Mm-hmm. And the other is more what I think, like, Terrence Malick does. Yeah. Where it seems like it's this, like... In, in any Terrence Malick movie, it really seems like these people are, like, recalling these events from a while later. Yeah, I mean, right? that's what he does. Like, he'll even... Uh... He'll use audio that he shot for a little scene, a natural scene, and then just use that as voiceover, right? So, right, right. Which I, yeah. I think that is more interesting, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I think that would fit better for Dune as well. Um, well, a lot of things do that. Imagine, like, a scene that's getting cross-cut, you know? You almost have, like, a flashback, but you're yeah, yeah. in the cross-cut, well, I mean, and you're getting the thing about audio Dune, from the flashback the thing as about a Dune voiceover. Too, is that, like, it has... Like, in Dune specifically, there's a lot of stuff that involves like visions and time mm-hmm. you know just the bending of time so like that could also be used to give us some some of the more like internal parts of the characters which I think would be um, so those are a good way to do it those um, are like the two big things then really it's the how are they going to handle far third omniscient third and how are they going to put it all in there because it's a big book. It is a big book. Uh, so um, predictions, no voiceover, essentially, and you think they'll do it all? You'll think they try to do one to one? I don't know. I don't know. But if it's if it's going to be like part of the story, I would be interested to see like how they make one movie. Yeah. And how they how they like tie it all together? Because to do that, you would have to essentially like change some parts of the film, right? To, to make, or to change some parts yeah, of the story. You'll have to, to cut some stuff out and blend some other stuff together. Right. In order to, um, in order to make it feel like one succinct film. Yeah. You know? Because um, that's a challenge, right? As much yeah. as you need to honor what you're doing is you are, you are presented with many practical and logistical challenges that you have to overcome, period. And when you're presented with, you know, 400, 800 page book, you're going to have to make decisions about what to keep and what not to keep. Right, Part right. Of me I feels mean, like the thing is, there's always going to be that. Yeah. What, what I'm more talking about is like if they are going to cut it down. Yeah. Right. Like how to make a single film. Yeah. Out of, like the like, I don't know. Well, that'll be interesting to. Like, take. I don't want to spoil it for you because you haven't read the book. Well, yet. yeah, and let's not spoil um, it for. Yeah, yeah. The audience until we've actually seen it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. um but I guess, hey, um, elevator pitch about the book, though. Yeah. Um, basically, everything takes place, I think it's like 8,000 or 9,000 years in the future. Yeah, I understand. It's, it's like a long setting. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, 
I kind of wonder if he'll do. Uh, this isn't a spoiler for the book because it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a prologue essentially, where like, essentially, like sometime between now and when the book takes place, uh, humans dabbled in AI, and there was like this machine war, and AI were outlawed. Yeah. Um, after the humans won, and um, because of that, like, um, like humans have kind of taken over. Um, the roles of what like a lot of computers and stuff used to do so they've done this by like perfecting um perfecting various techniques um not only by using by by like you know perfecting the method itself but by using physiological enhancement and uh, drugs and stuff right um but uh like whenever i'm trying to give people the elevator pitch of like you know why like the mindset you should have going into Dune it's that like imagine that you're going to see a movie about aliens living in an alien world right because like they're so far removed from human you know um just even in their in in their like one to one interactions right like everything feels very um every different because of what because of what like technologies are available and the technologies that are available seem so alien you know interesting so I wonder if he'll do like a like an introduction where he kind of like like kind of Blade Runner you know where he like but I, yeah. I actually I don't know because like that was a very specific to Blade Runner thing right because Blade Runner 1 did that too right at the beginning had like, like text. The, the credits at the beginning yeah 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 I think they will I think they'll have like a paragraph or two up there yeah. or they'll do some sort of voiceover um, yeah. well there's another thing I want to bring up as well uh, going into this and that is that the esteemed David Lynch who I love and yet I have not watched nearly enough of his films as I should have yeah. has done this movie this movie has already been adapted yes. yeah. and his adaption is the general opinion on it is that it sucks ass but that it's also sort of like a great movie on its own Okay. And this is sort of like the cinephile opinion, and I'm really excited to see it after I watch this one as well. Um, but I have seen scenes from it, and the thing is, the sort of scenes and scenarios I've seen from that don't match up with everything I've been able to see in the trailer here. So part of me does, I'm just saying that as further evidence that I think we're going to get, you know, half the book, a third of the book in this movie. Um, I mean, well, I did see... But I could be completely wrong. So. Well, I, I did see a part of it that was, like, from later in the Okay. Book. Like, Sweet. So, I um, hope. I really hope. I want to be wrong about this. Well, like, like that because scene... Because if I'm not wrong about this, then there's there's the, the, the very practical problem of, like, it could never be completed. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. <laughs> so I hope it's just a one, one go, you know? And Unless they did, it, like, a Lord do. of the Rings type thing, and they've already shot two it, movies. It's very possible like, as well. Yeah. I don't know. Um... But no, one of this. There's a scene in the trailer where he's like in golden armor fighting, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's the definitely one thing from later in, my, in the yeah, book. Yeah, that's the one thing in my head. I was like, that's the one scene that makes me feel like it's going to be all in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the only thing that uh, uh, matched up with like the later stuff, the scenes I've seen from uh, Lynch's go out right. story. It could have also been that they they were trying to um, to limit what was being shown in the trailer to yeah, that's very like smart. the beginning of the film, which like I think is a great to do. Like. Um, 
they did that with the Interstellar trailer, and that like you know blew yeah, everyone yeah. away when and half they, the movie took place in space. They have those original trailers yeah. as well. I love it when a film makes a trailer when you can yeah. tell that yeah. Nolan made that initial Interstellar trailer. Yeah. Um, also. Um, so, if, depending, we're probably going to love this. We pretty much know that going in. <laughs> yeah, it's um, there, so. And so, we'll probably want to do more episodes on this, but I think maybe we'll space them out or something. Maybe we can do, like, a... You know be cool? Maybe we could, like, watch I'll read the, the David book. Lynch one. Yeah, and, and we can watch the yeah. David Lynch one, and I can read the book, and we can make uh, several episodes on it. Or I'm so excited for buy, this. Buy, you know, get the behind-the-scenes, watch all the, the yeah, making yeah. of, because, I mean... Honestly, that may sound... I think it actually sounds interesting to the audience. But the thing is, one movie that you really love is way more interesting to talk about ten times than oh, yeah. one movie you only kind of like. Well, and Dune's one of those stories that just has a lot packed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's and another they, thing. There is sequels little... as well, written by the same guy yes, and his there, son. It's a whole series of books. So, um, cross your fingers. What I'm worried about in terms of this film being a blockbuster is the wrong expectations. And um, it's releasing on HBO as well. It's already out on HBO. Oh, yeah. I forgot about so, that. So um, we have to think of the money they're making a different way now. Yeah. Well, no, no. no I, just, I just mean, like, the more, like, I don't know how to say this. The reception from the audience might be influenced by what the trailer looked like, which the trailer made it look very action-packed. Yeah. Right? Um, the book is not action-packed. There's, there's like, a lot that goes into just, like, the, like, science and technique and stuff behind certain, like, mechanics of technologies in the book, right? Where, like, they have a whole section that's kind of, like, devoted to how you wear your still suit, right? And, like, stuff like that where, you know, you have these these practical things that are presented in a way that um, in a way that describes like the mentality of someone or the yeah. philosophy of a people or something like that. Right. Where like they're really important scenes. And I feel like those aren't things that like Denny Villeneuve would skip over. Like, I feel like that feel that feels like right up his alley where, you know, you would get to talk about something um, practical, but have this like rich philosophical yeah. meaning underneath it right which like that kind of reminds me of something like Moby Dick where like you know you have these like extensive periods of the book that focus on like fisher, fishing techniques yeah yeah absolutely right but they, they but they have like deep philosophical meaning behind yeah. it right and like I'm worried that like people going into this yeah. expecting an action film and they're gonna get a lot of that right well let's see yeah we'll see uh, it starts in one minute so we'll be oh, back yeah, sure. alright let's go and we're back. Yes. And my prediction. My guess. I'm pissed. That was true. <laughs> I'm pissed. It's part one. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Uh, uh, and it's not even a series of the books. It's part one of the first book. It's, it's well, Okay, so it's the first half. They get to about, like, the halfway point of the first book. Yeah. And not only is it just half of a book... This is this is half of a, this is not a whole movie. This is the halfway point of a movie. And Denny Villeneuve had the balls. This is okay. Part 2 is not greenlit. And yeah. he had the balls to put part 1 at the beginning of this movie and and film half of a movie. Yeah. 
Holy... It's really fucking good, though. <laughs> it, it is! It's so good! But okay, Wait, we, hold gotta, on. we have hold to on. cross our fingers that... Hold on, though. I am convinced Villeneuve is a method director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, okay, so with, with Blade Runner, right, this movie about this, like, suicidal mission for a soul, right... Um, he, he goes on. He, he he decided to go on this like suicidal mission for um, to like make it mm-hmm. right, and he even called it a suicide mission, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. he knew no one was going to be happy with him, even though we all were pretty much happy. With him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <coughs> sorry, um, yeah, I'm vaping everyone. Just saying. <laughs> and then with Dune, you have. Like, you have this story about this, like, you know, this this gambit almost, right? And, like, you know, this... I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but, like, yeah. you know... I mean, he, he already kind of talked about it. He, he, the, um, the oh, hold on, hold on. Actually, before <laughs> before we spoil everything... Spoilers! <laughs> um, um, I actually want to go more in-depth here because... Um, it's it's half a it's a half a movie it's it's half of a movie it's not a whole movie yeah like I, I feel like a lot of people are gonna come out and be like oh it kind of ended in a weird place it was weird I mean maybe the part one will help and then there was like that line this is only just the beginning yeah and, and like hopefully people will get it you know that this is <laughs> it's a it's a, this is half the film it's a first act yeah yeah um but like the only the cra- okay, the crazy part about this to me, it's, it's blowing my mind that he put part one in there and part two is not greenlit. Yeah. Like, if, if part two doesn't get greenlit, Villeneuve will have made half of a film. I know. Like, <laughs> the, like, the issue with that is, even if it's a good movie, it's never guaranteed. I mean, Blade Runner 2049 did not do well financially, you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah. So we just really got to cross our fingers here because I would really like to see this be. Completed. But I mean, I mean, he he makes this play essentially, right? In the title screen, puts part one, with part two not being green. Like, imagine being a producer, and well, <laughs> it, he had to have cleared it. With no, him, for sure. So. But like, can you imagine the amount of like money that went into this and, yeah, and it's like a gamble? That, yeah, it's it is. It's total gamble. gamble. That's. Like, that takes so much... Oh, my God. But also, that's kind of what the studios want to a degree. They want something to be so successful that they could make more movies out of it. You know what I mean? Definitely. But, like, I just mean, like... Because, okay, here's kind of what I'm saying, though. Is that, like, yes, it's half the book. But, like, the way this film was structured, like, it it ends with all the pieces on the board, right? Like, it's, it's... it's not a full, like, succinct film. Like, you know, I was talking about that on the way here. It was, like, I was, I was wondering how they could possibly make a succinct film out of part of the book, which they just didn't. Yeah. Right? Um, which, like, you know, I, I... Like, if this was the whole movie, it would probably be the least... My least favorite of Villeneuve's movies, but it's not, right? It's yeah. half of it. And it's extremely, extremely well done. And, like, if it... If it you know, ends in the same fashion that it began. Like, it's going to be maybe his best. This isn't a, uh, a perfect analogy, uh, but it gave me Shire vibes. Even though Shire is, you know, Lord of the Rings. It yeah. is a succinct film. Right. It is definitely the least... I was thinking about that, like, about three-fourths of the way through. I was like, 
Yeah, you never, like, unless you're sitting down to watch the entire Lord of the Rings again, you never really want to watch just the Shire. You pick sure, two yeah. towers and you pick yeah. Return of the King. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the Fellowship, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I was watching, I was like, this is amazing, but in the future, we have the the Dune trilogy. I'm probably just going to watch the second <laughs> or third ones yeah, yeah. most of the time. I, I mean, just already see it. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be You think it's going to be two? It's definitely going to be two. Okay. Um, there's not... Um, he did a really good job at combining moments, right? Um, like there were there were a lot of there were a lot of things. Like for example, in the uh, oh sorry, and spoiler warning. Uh, now, like you know, we are now doing spoilers. Oh, and this is what I wanted to say. This is where I was getting off on it. Um, um, it is imperative that you go watch this film because if you like it. Yeah. Like, the only way... It gets made. <laughs> get mm-hmm. part two made. The, the only way to see the rest of the movie is to see this film multiple times in theaters. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, stream it at home, whatever. Just, just like, stream it while you're, like, on mute, while you're doing homework or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or, like, work. Just... 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 <laughs> <laughs> fuck! <laughs> okay. But anyway, spoilers now. We definitely recommend the movie... More so than we have other movies because the second film yeah. hangs in the balance. <laughs> like, oh my god, I just I just can't imagine like. So I did something similar with Reaper, right? Because like I only made the first half of the story. Yeah. But I only have like what fifteen grand on the line. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine making like putting hundreds of million dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars into this? Yeah. And betting it all that you'll get greenlit for a second film. That's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, and, like, the safe thing to do, right, would be to, well, I'll just make my story so that if it doesn't happen... Right, like, you, so you make some succinct the entire, film still, yeah. but, like... Like, but, most directors would be like, well, then just give me three and a half hours. <laughs> right, right. But, <laughs> like, I'll figure it out in three and a half hours. But Villeneuve uh, is literally betting everything. You know, like, if, if it doesn't get greenlit... One of his films will remain half finished forever. Yeah. Dude, he's doing pretty well though. Look at that. Already between uh it's already got one fifty. That's decent. What's the It's only been out for a few days. I know, but what's the the budget? They yeah. don't really release the budget anymore. They hide yeah. it. I'll Google anyways to see what articles okay. are saying. Um But yeah, so an, an think, extra emphasis on the recommendation today. I think we're going to get one. It's only 165, which they've already oh, pretty much God. made that. Okay. All right. Still, still go, go see, go it see it and it. stream it. And just put it on your TV and leave it be. Yeah, just replay it over and over in the background while yeah, you're doing yeah. shit. Um, and if you don't have HBO, get it and just watch down <laughs> and replay it and replay it, replay it, replay it, and then cancel. Yeah. That's how you do it. Here. Uh, yeah, anyways. Um, so, and what I was saying was, like, for example, um, like, there's actually a whole ton of the mother and the son, uh, Paul and Jessica, being stuck in the desert in the book. Yeah. Right? So, like, how they did it where they, they crashed in the desert and then they, um, they, like, went through the sandstorm, crashed in the desert, ran to some rocks and then got chased by the sandworm. That takes place over, like, a long point. Yeah. A, a long period of time. And it's actually, like, three different distinct moments in the book and they combined it all into one really well I thought um and then they also um they also crushed down the uh the experiences with um 
with uh, yeah. when they first meet the Fremen. Okay. And uh, what's it called? Uh, Jameis. Like, you actually get to know him a bit more because he, he's, he challenges him later. Okay. Right? But having him challenge him right there, and then also the thing he sees Jameis in his visions is kind of less like mentor figure that doesn't come to be. Yeah. Right? Um, Which we had here, but it was briefer. Right. Well, and, but like this um, Kynes, the planetologist, or the geologist, planet ecologist, right? Um, which also is a guy in the book, but she she in the movie, um, or sorry, in the book, actually, I can't I think it is a guy in the book, but I, I really like the casting for it. Um, yeah, the casting in this movie was just a, for a little quick detour, it was amazing. You had some of the best actors out there right now for like 10 minutes of screen time. You yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it was pretty amazing. And then not only that, you're the two people that are on the screen the most are the mother and the son. And Timothy Clement, he's been in some big stuff. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, right? Chalamet, yeah. okay. I'm just doing it off of how I hear it in my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I've, I've seen the mother before, but she's never been. Uh, she's the, she's the, um, the female spy in Mission Impossible. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. She looks very it's crazy. It's just crazy to have Javier Bardem in there for like about ten minutes. He's of a huge time. part of the next part. Well, yeah, I yeah. know. I assume yeah. it's Oscar Isaac has what like 20, 25 minutes on the screen. Dude, he is so good, though. Oh my yeah. god. Um, well, oh, um, so anyway, sorry. The the kinds. So what Jameis was saying in the vision about like um, nature and like flowing with it and like how we must become a part of it mm-hmm. is actually um, is something that. Um, Kynes is recalling through a hallucination as he's about to die in the middle of the desert. Mm. And his father is the one that told him that. Right In the movie, um, she ends up actually dying um, to the Sardaukar. And then um, it's actually Jameis who's saying that in the storm. So we get like some of Jameis um, before he actually dies, which I think was a good... It was a good way to like cut two scenes down and improve both of them or I guess not not, not so much improve but like cut them down and Im- improve what they would have been without them yeah, by yeah. like um, mixing how they were cut right and like and it, th- I think the best part about it is it kept the intention of a lot of the moments in the book and also by combining moments they were able to you know um, yeah cut down the time yeah, yeah. And keep it going yeah and um they also did a good job at like, um, at what's it called? Um, I guess I guess more like putting some of the concepts into layman's terms uh, yeah. because they don't do that in the book. Well, that was one thing right. they were even bringing up as you were talking about the extreme technical, uh, you know, time spent in the prose explaining right, the right. technical, and they were just pretty quick about it, or they were visual about it. Right, right. Um, the steel suit, you know. Right, and and. Um, the worms and the the, the mining for the spikes. Yeah, the, the film books were a good touch, actually. <coughs> yeah, I really like that. That was another thing about this. I have two major things that, in terms of this world, that Denny Villeneuve pulled off visually. I'm sure it's explained as well. Is this world is evocative in the sense that there's not like a single screen. It's all like high tech 
analog shit. Right. There's like balloons lifting shit up. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And there's like projectors, but no like tablets, nothing like that. Well, right. Well, it's a very unique sort of high tech analog experience. Right. And then right. not on only that, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because, frankly, I, I like CG. I don't hate it. Right. But there is a fucking argument to be made that's pretty valid, um, about how it's all just the same and mm. it all looks just okay and there's very little unique work done in that regard and like the quiet places are like the fucking exception you know right right and then in this to have such a unique evocative visual style mm. and pull off all those visual effects and cgi that you need to do yeah and maintain this very unique aesthetic it's just something you don't see at all you just don't see it at all even in the biggest you know the the marvel movies the star wars movies all kind of just is the same right by necessity of the technology and I think that's the technology I think it, you need a unique creative will uh, and passion to overcome that because I think that's what you know and a lot of filmmakers like Christopher Nolan talk about this but <clears throat> what's happened to things with the introduction of the digital world and I love the digital world and I love uh, what it's done in terms to democratize your ability to make films and what you can achieve at what scale for what cost right but when you think about something like Blender, you know, or After Effects, mm -hmm. you just have a undo button. You know, anyone can get a circle on the screen and light it, you know, and then put a texture and a filter on it. Sure. Uh, and so to undertake something of unique artistic vision um, with all the digital power we have today, it's rare. It's actually pretty rare. Yeah. Um, so this was just amazing in that. Like, if you have any interest in, like... CGI and visual effects. I think this is probably going to be a lot of people's uh, um, their sort of like inspiration for the yeah. future because of just how unique it is compared to what you see. Yeah. Um, um, also, the sound design was so good. Oh, yeah. um, I, I liked all those little like I don't really know how to describe it, but it was in it was in Blade Runner too um, with the little like cameras that were like floating around. Mm. How they had this like weird like clicking, almost like it sounds a little bit like a Geiger counter. Um, oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Um, like, and they did a really good job at, um, like, they had these little uh, things in the back of your ear that they used to communicate, right. and, and, like, they would make that kind of sound, or, like, um, I don't know what else they did, but I, I, I oh, I've also loved the sounds of the, like, uh, shields. Yeah. Which leads me to another thing. That's the, that's one of the parts that I, like, couldn't really, I, I was worried, um, about the shields because the whole idea is that the fighting style is extremely counterintuitive because the shield stops uh, things that are moving fast so like projectiles are useless against them yeah right um, unless you have those weird uh, like dark things yeah, that are being used slower sort of uh, yeah, well yeah they like get stuck in the shield and then just drill inwards almost yeah right like extremely slowly um, but like um, even even the bombs, if you notice, like they would like land. Yeah, like the, that scene where they're getting bombarded. Yeah. yeah, it was just so unique. There's a lot of a lot of those really little details, and I love that where you get to tell about the amount of time put into pulling that off, and yet it's on the screen for two seconds, if that. Right, right. You know, that but, really brings something together. Like the the fighting felt so like awkward, but in the best way. You know, because, like, all the fast strikes were basically useless unless you, your goal was to just move someone. Yeah. Right? Um, 
but all the kill strikes needed to be these like slow moving like slow moving strikes and like you would see uh, I, I like this one part where Jason Momo, Momoa like uh, he like did a strike but like turned the blade in his hand so it would like stay in the same spot longer and then just like slit it slit the guy's throat from inside the shield yeah you know and like um, he did amazing by the way yeah yeah um, but just everything was like so true to the book too and, and they definitely um, aired on the side of not explaining things um, they just let you kind of sit in the moment with an actor or a, or a technique yeah you know um, which was what we were saying would be the best way to do it yeah you know um, there was a little bit of voiceover a little bit which yeah. they did very well yeah um, but you got it I mean the book is written in omniscient third you know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah. You almost have to. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they did it in a way where like most of the voiceover are voiceovers are actually I think all of the voiceovers are synonymous with uh, uh, Paul's visions. Yeah, right? some of them, and the, yeah, they're almost all visions. Yeah, I would say that, but like some of them are like in high stress situations as well. Um, so I don't know if that's like him manifesting it or if it is the spice at that point but you know it all seems to be yeah I mean throughout, throughout the books uh, his visions get like stronger and stronger okay, okay. Um, but yeah no um, they ended up going with the whole voiceover at the beginning instead of text which I thought was I like it nice yeah um, and also they do the usual thing which I see a lot in these movies that promise action but aren't going to have actually that much of it, you know? Yeah. Whereas they satiate you at the very beginning with a burst of violence. Right, they right. They give you small little bits until the big cathartic violence scenes come. Um, I liked the the whole, like, thing with his grandfather being a bullfighter. Yeah. And then, like, as as the father, as Leto gets closer and closer to death, we get, like, more and more references to the bull. Yeah. You know? Um, because it's, it's implied that the grandfather dies from this... Bullfighting. Like, yeah. From bullfighting, and, you know, um, that's essentially what they're doing in Arrakis because, like, they know that the Harkonnens are coming. Yeah. They just have to guess when, but, like... They get betrayed. Yeah, it was... <laughs> that scene as well. I just can't get over the aesthetic. I know I'm just going to keep repeating that word over yeah. and over and over again, <laughs> but just think of, like, how unique the scene was when he cracked down on his poison pill, you know, his yeah. poison tube. Yeah. You just don't see that. You just don't see visual CGI done that, like that visually it's so astounding to me yeah it was uh, we were in a we were in a reasonably full theater actually that was kind of late at night yeah it was like two thirds full but um I was there was the part where you see um, you see him like they've like seated Leto naked at, at this table right yeah. and like it's it's you know, like he's in front of a crowd. You know, the the, it's, the court. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The the point is to just humiliate. Yeah, exactly. And like, I heard someone laugh in the theater, and I was like, "What? Like, <laughs> what? A perfect moment, right? Because like, the the goal was to humiliate him, right? And like, you have all these like smug. Uh, you have the the Baron and his like cohort, right? Yeah. yeah. And like. You know, they're standing all around 
this table as he like eats Leto's food from his kitchen. Yeah. You know, and as as he sits like stripped down at this table, you know, about to be ex- executed. Yeah. You know, and the Baron wants to gloat and wants to tell him his his like, you know, like everything's gone. Yeah. You know. A complete failure. Right, and like just hearing that person laugh, I'm like, damn, like someone in this audience. <laughs> like <laughs> would be in, would be there in his court. Like, <laughs> what's the enemy house again called? Because the Trades is there are good guys. Uh, were they Harkins? Har- Harkonnen. Harkonnen. Yeah. Yeah. Skarsgård is the leader of those guys. Oh, that was is amazing. Yeah. So disgusting too. Yeah. But so good. <laughs> and that hovering shit. And yeah. They, so it's it, he like he's in the book he's so like overweight and like weak that yeah. he. Can, and also weak that he he just like can't walk. Yeah. Um. Actually, maybe I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think I think he can't walk. He's Either like suspended way, by like. So funny, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um. Just do it, just to freak people out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's that he's too like he's oh, too fat. He's yeah. too fat to walk. Yeah. I mean, the introduction of him once again, like, think of the visual language there, the imagination of he's like in some sort of steam sauna. You know what I mean? Right, right. Is the, you get this whole introduction, all these little pieces. The sounds that the thing on his back make, you know. Oh, that was the other thing that I was thinking about. Yeah, the the Geiger counter sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, These like they're all like like, slightly cyborgs or like psychic. Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, I was saying before we went in. Where it's like because because they outlawed. That's why they're so analog. Is that they've outlawed AI? uh, AI, yeah. Yeah, because I'm like everything in, in this is like just a really advanced analog tool. I'm like, ooh, I want this future. Right, uh, um, but it's basically like a, even the compass, you know. So the Mentats, which are like uh, the Thufir uh, Hawa, which was uh, the one guy, the one more like um, overweight guy that was under Duke Atreides. Yeah. Um, that guy, and then uh, what's his name from? Jason mm-hmm. Oh no! no, no yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Josh Brolin. No, no, no. Um, the other Mentat is under the. Baron's control, and he's the he's the one guy that we were talking about. Oh, you mean the enemy um, Baron? His yeah, guy, his his nephew. Yeah, that's not, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Not not him. So he's okay. the Mentat is the fucking. Oh, with the line on their lip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what his name is. It's like they each have one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that they they are both Mentats, and they're they're essentially like uh, humans turned into supercomputers. Oh, I see. Right, which is why he was able to do the calculation of how much it, it cost the Emperor to go across that like ceremonial thing and like his eyes did that weird thing where it, like, yeah, yeah they went in the back in their skull yeah yeah um but yeah, even that actor I've seen that actor and other stuff he's great I think he's a stage actor actually I've seen him in some films okay um not the the evil one the good one yeah yeah I, I know, I know. um but the uh what's it called um Dave, Dave Batista. Yes, yeah. Batista. He was really good too. He he plays. He's the perfect casting, honestly, in my opinion. Like, Raban's kind like, of, kind of like the. I'm always just been a huge fan. I've said this before, but any of, action yeah. hero aesthetic, <laughs> they're always good actors. People give them shit, but they're actually always really good. Yeah. Um, like but, surprisingly. Yeah, the, the, he, this, like, I mean, he basically is the one that ends up taking control of Arrakis. Like, he, uh, the Baron said, squeeze Raban, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so. Do you want to be let out? <laughs> um, have a good night. Yeah, audience. <laughs> There's someone else here the entire time. In your ears. <laughs> um, but... Anyways, oh yeah, so Raban, he, he kind of is, is the one that takes over Arrakis. But I like that they introduced the idea of um, desert power already, right? Yeah. Um, because... What it means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, interesting, you know, techniques. That's a, that's a thing relating to the analog nature of the world. You know, that's like, there's philosophy written about that, techniques, in the sense of, like, what does it mean for, like, man's relation to a tool, and what does that mean? Right, right. Um, and you um, see a lot of that in this. Yeah, but, um, like, it's, a, it's I think it's more introduced in, later in the book, if I'm remembering correctly, um, this idea that... Um, that Fremen might be the true power of Arrakis, hmm. right? Um, because it's kind of like the Sardaukar, right? The Emperor's elite fighting force that um, you get to see in this film. They're the dudes in white armor. Yeah. But, um, <coughs> sorry. Um, they are, like, the way that they're made is kept secret from everyone else. Hmm. Um, they didn't actually have this scene, um, but... Um, what, who is it? Oh, you know what? It might be in the second half of the book. So I, I won't, it. I won't discuss it. <laughs> but, uh, essentially, essentially they talk about how, um, the Fremen may be the true power of Arrakis. Um, similar, sorry. No, similar to how, similar to how, um, the Sardaukar are like the Emperor's power. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because he even talks about how, you know, all the great houses are, are terrified that, you know, the emperor will stick the Sardaukar on them. Yeah. Um, who are the Sardaukar? Uh, the, the guys in the white armor. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they come from, it, it mentioned it briefly. Uh, yeah. You saw the scene and you saw the, like the blood sacrifice they were doing. As right. Well, which so is very they strange. come from a prison planet, um, okay. where the, the, you know, universe's most dangerous criminals get sent. Right. I see. Um, and, like, the death rate is, like, 60% yeah, in this for, prison. Forged in fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, wait. And, <laughs> yeah. I want to read it. I want to read it. I want to read it. Well, that, that part's explained um, when you see yeah. uh, Seleucia Secundus, which is the prison planet. Um, it's very cool. So the entire, the, the, the plot, so to speak, of why they're even there. So Atreides is sent there. To so, fuck over Atreides, and Atreides, from Atreides' perspective, they think it's to fuck over both the, them and the Harkonnens. Both of them. Yeah. It's to weaken both of them, but really, it's that the Emperor is actually afraid of Atreides more than they are of the Harkonnens. Right. Um. um but it's it's because um, Gurney Halleck and uh, Duncan Idaho, mm. they've trained one of the finest fighting forces in the galaxy, mm. and Atre- the Atreides name is get, gaining power. Right. And um, Skarsgård uh, says this, you know, and he says the emperor is a jealous man, you mm. know, um, and he didn't want the Atreides' voice to rise, so to speak, mm. right? Um, so he he 
and and you kind of see this throughout that you see that they are these great people right these um like they're they're they have a rich philosophy that they live by yeah they're like they're true aristocrats they're two true nobles right um and it's also put in there that they have a rivalry, the Harkonnens and the Atreides already. Right, right. So, um, but they they grew too powerful. Essentially, is the yeah militarily right. Yeah, and they were thinking that it might be oh our military is too powerful, too. Yeah. and they they have too much money. But no, it was your military. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, just the, I would like to read the book because I would like to know about this guy that portrayed them and the, the technical UA? aspect of how that's pop uh, more pop uh, possible. Because if there was one little thing, I was like, one guy is able to fucking turn off all the fucking shit. Like, but, yeah, yeah. Know. So he's there, like he's been their doctor for a long time. Yeah, you yeah. know, and like essentially, uh, uh, I don't really re- remember from the books, but that's okay. Yeah. We're, after watching this and knowing that we're hopefully getting a sequel, um, we should definitely do one. I'll, I'll read the book <laughs> and we'll like come back and do another episode and yeah, we'll watch David Lynch as well. Maybe we'll do that. It's just a separate episode or you know why I'm most a upset. lot in this. This is very interesting. I'm most upset because it was so good, yeah. and now we have to wait. Yeah, like two years at least. Well, the in, there's not even <laughs> that's the thing like. What you're even saying is, you know, me and you are both obsessed by the insight. That was your word. I used to call it message, right? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, the insight really isn't there yet. No, not at all. It's literally (laughs) half a movie. We didn't get the fucking, the proving of the message, you know? Right. Um, So it's like we can't even sit here and Blade Runner. Exactly. That's what I mean is that it's literally half of a film. (laughs) You know, it's like. like We can't go over the intricacies. Uh, And I haven't read the book yet, so. We're at an impasse. Yeah. But it's fucking beautiful. It is. It's, it's so good. It, it's such a true translation of the film. Or the book, too. Yeah. Um, we can't really, like, talk too much on it. Just because, like... The movie's not done. It's, well, not, <laughs> it's not over. Let's it's, do this yeah. for the audience. Um, what we could do is we could just stop recording. And we could think about it for a day or two. And come back and add on more. Well, I, I just mean that I don't think there's a lot, like, much more to talk about without seeing the rest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, I mean seeing, seeing the rest of the movie, which isn't know. done, you know, so, like... That's what I'm saying, so it's, like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say, like, let's just, let's just end it here and, like... Okay. We'll end it here, and maybe uh, once I read the book, we'll come back and revisit the movie, and maybe we'll also do uh David Lynch's. Yeah, maybe that's what we should do. It's just yeah. like do David But we're not Lynch's. we're not guaranteeing to do David Lynch's because we from what like I understand, it. we might not like it or we might really love it but also think it's like a horrible adaptation, which I I'm pretty sure it is. That's what people say. Okay. But I might like it anyways. But anyways, we'll probably do a future episode. <laughs> yeah. But uh sorry for the short time on this, but watch it cuz we want the fucking full movie. Yeah. Watch the hell out of it. I'm, I'm gonna be. It's gonna be one of the worst things of my life <laughs> if Dune ends up being a half finished film for all of history. Do you know there's that there's that cult filmmaker? He's like his name's like Andre Jordowski or something, mm-hmm. who was going to do Dune before I think they gave it to Lynch. 
Um, okay. There's an entire documentary about all the pre-production work he did oh, God. on his Dune movie before it was taken away from him. This would even be worse than this. that because we're already halfway there. It's half the movie. Okay, but the movie. Okay. okay, so quick movie math, right? I think I've gone over this episode again, but I'll do it again. You want everything to be double, and they don't include the marketing in the budget. So it's 165. Imagine they spent 30 because they probably did if they spent 165. So they're wanting to make a little under 400. They could probably need to make a lot less than that, but we don't know their actual accounting, right? So for us to know for sure, that's roughly what they need. And we also are not going to get the numbers that they're making on HBO from it. You know, That's true. That, that, so that could help. We want to see worldwide hit it at minimum a 300. And I mean, I heard, I heard Villeneuve was upset that they were streaming it, though. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, he didn't want that to happen, but that's just a thing the industry did because of COVID. All the big right. movies are coming in as streaming services, you know. Yeah, on the same day. So I hope they just keep it in theaters for a long time because I I will just go, I'll fucking buy a ticket and go yeah. scan it and go get a coffee. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> just go do uh, your morning run to AMC. Yeah, yeah. If you if you, if you guys have a list, yeah. if you guys have a list and you're not going to see three movies a week, just just go. You know, scan your ticket and walk out the back. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I'm obligated to do this now. I'm, I'm yeah. just gonna go. I'm just gonna go because, like, I'm not gonna watch three movies a week, right? Like, maybe I'll go see a, a movie a week, but like, it's rare. I, I occasionally hit my limit, but it's very rare. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, so it's like, like once a week. You know, when it hits Thursday, I might just go. Yeah, just <laughs> give one of your tickets every week until you know. Yeah. And what you know, play it on HBO. Yeah, I mean that, that's a lot. It's not like illegal or anything to just buy your ticket. And no, walk in, walk out the exit. For that. You're paying yeah. for that. <laughs> You're literally paying to do that. Um, but don't just reserve your seat. Literally claim your fucking ticket. Right, right. Yeah, if, if you're if you drive past a movie theater every day and you have a list, just like you know, stop by. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I I cannot. I would be so distraught if we never got the second half of it. I'm so worried now. <laughs> like I, I well, okay. we should we should I probably mean, know over the next two to three months. Dune's one of those. Get an answer. Dune's one of those books that when you while you're reading it, it's just like baked in anxiety you know yeah, and, and it's like the movie did a great job yeah. at doing that and now in a meta fashion uh <laughs> villeneuve has has brought that this into our lives here. do you need to take some xanax <laughs> <laughs> oh god ah, it's well. so good though yeah it's fucking great i know i keep using this word but it's a beautiful word aesthetic it brought it, villeneuve it brought did literal... that in blade runner as well and he did it in sicario he is so good at unifying all the visual elements and bringing an evocative style to whatever he's doing. Yeah, it brought literal tears to my eyes like multiple times. Not like not like sad tears, but like yeah. other emotional tears. You know, where yeah, like yeah. they they were able to pull off such a yeah an evocative moment so well that it, the, the emotion was just extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think I actually think that when Leto decided to kill this man in front of him. You know, and like he he believed that you know he had lost everything, and there's this like moment of like the most quiet rage, yeah, in Oscar Isaac, and I was just like that blew me away. Um, no, it was it was good. The only the only I feel like the only like um uh like philosophical insight that they brought into the 
Actually, there, there were a few. There were a few. And, and like, it, they did bring bring through all the ones that are spoken by people. Yeah, fear um, is the mind killer. That's that, that was one... I can't remember if it was actually spoken. It was, twice. It, no, in, 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 the, in the books, I can't remember oh, if it was actually okay, spoken. But um, they, they almost used it as this, like... She would, like, repeat it to herself to calm herself down. Yeah. Um, it's a mantra. Which, like... In the book, she she barely lets herself slip. You know, she's not the type of person that would, like, have a panic attack. Okay. You know? Um, but I thought that was a good way to... Um, <coughs> because you do have to... Sorry. <laughs> keep breathing in the smoke. Him. I'm destroying him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in the books, you do have to... Like when when you translate it, like there there does have to be some sort of like external way yeah, that no. you show these things, and and like I think that was a good way to bring both into the external, you know, yeah. by by I revealing mean, more of Jessica's like um, emotions underneath the underneath the skin. Yeah, and then also, and she she has almost all of these moments privately too. Yeah, you know, so it it is, um, it, it was good in that regard where like she wasn't. Like she was very, very um, aware of every situation when um, there are others involved, mm. which is extremely true to the book. Um, but that'd be a really weird challenge. Uh, I don't think it. You have to think about what what's the right thing to do, and I think Villeneuve did the right thing. But oh yeah, imagine shooting, truly trying to make a movie in third omniscient, exactly as if it's in. Third omniscient of book, you know, what I mean? yeah, it's yeah. like conflicting voiceovers in people's yeah. minds in the same scene, shifting perspective in a scene several times between characters. Um, I've actually thought about it in a different light before, just because um, um, there is an anime ad- adaptation that I want to do at some point. I'm not going to say what it is, but I don't want to jinx anything. Um, <laughs> but there is an anime adaptation that I want to make at some point, and uh, anime does have a tendency to just. Uh, say things that people wouldn't normally say. Yeah. Right. And um, it, it acts similar to a book in that way, where like a lot of the internal becomes external through speech that wouldn't necessarily happen. Mm. Or, you know, the characters are by themselves and talking to themselves, you know. And I've thought a lot about that from that perspective, you know, where like, how do you... And, and that's that's why I kind of like said it the way that I did when we were coming into, like going into the theater at the beginning, where I was saying like, you know, you'd want to um, essentially let the actors, perf- like, let those things inform the actor's performance or inform the treatment, like you said, hmm. right? Um, rather than just saying them, right? Like, you don't need to say them, yeah. right? Because it's a different work, right? And it, it shows the same story from a different perspective. And, like, if people want that, they should go read the book, yeah, you yeah. know, or watch the anime, right? But, like, the, the film is a different thing, and I think accepting that is what allows you to make a really good ad- adaptation. No, I agree. I definitely agree. But, but, it, but it would be unique to see third omniscient in something. I'm not saying well, we I mean, should do it here. I, I think, I think you are on third omniscient. Yeah. Like I'm saying like, have, do it have something like, I'm just saying like an exaggerated way, like a way that you can't even say is not that way. And also third omniscient, like trying to strip <laughs> wait, it directly wait, wait. from a novel. No, you know, you know what was actually I felt like that. Yeah. Um, um, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Yeah, because like the characters would would break the fourth wall and talk to the audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, or or like 
the office sort of has that right they, they yeah, justify yeah. it by saying it's like a documentary but you know you, you get true. the internal aspect of was there of a movie out there that has like conflicting that's not like a comedy that's not like a comedic beat at the very least that has conflicting voiceovers where you can like I don't watch know. a conversation happen and yet be in both of their minds at the same time i feel like i've seen that a couple times but it's been like a gimmick not like the actual like a not a discipline put into the entire story right right um i wonder that, that, that might be a cool uh it's a cool thing to keep in mind thing to bring to a film at some point too as if, long as it's proper yeah um if it hasn't been done, done already but yeah being new um doing something first it's always a good thing, but you can't rely on that. <laughs> yeah. I was actually very, um, very impressed at the engagement of the audience. Oh, in this film? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, you, could, you could feel, like, the tension in the air in the audience. Mm. Um, also, the music. That, very, oh, that was very unique. I loved yeah. it. It was actually... Um, it was, like, almost mixed as well. It was, like, directional. It was... Uh, yeah, I was going to say this, where, like, the music almost feels like part of the sound design where like yeah. I can't imagine like just listening to this on your phone or something you know like yeah. like it almost feels like something that you have to have blasting at you from <laughs> like a, <laughs> just massive speakers right like yeah um like the vibrations are almost just like part of the song yeah um yeah like if yeah it would hit you from the lower right it would start in the top left and hit you from the lower right yeah, really hard and it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, th- th- in my opinion, that's Hans Zimmer's strength. Was this Hans? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, good old Hans. Yeah. Um. Why? Why are the like two of the best guys fucking German? Max Richter <laughs> and Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Actually, no. I think Max Richter is English, but born and raised Germany. Okay. I mean, I I think it has. Maybe it has something to do with like. I've I've always wondered actually because like when you when you think about the German language, it's very, uh, like they have words for everything. Yeah, it's very you know? articulate language. Yeah, um, and to be able to simplify something down so well, I wonder if like that hasn't that have like if you have that in your young life, if that has an influence on, um, the way you perceive music because it's it's both they're both sound based, right? Yeah, I mean you also um, you have like. Uh, um, because, sorry, no, no. Um, because when you, when you when you take Max Richter and Hans Zimmer, um, like they're both very simple uh, composers, right? And I don't mean simple in a bad way. I mean simple in that like, um, in that they they use the least amount possible. Right? Yeah. But I would say they're both extremely accurate as well, and I think that that actually that actually has some. Um, fundamental uh, similarities to the type of music that they make, or sorry, the the German language, right? So I, I kind of that's why I kind of wonder if the two are the two are related in any Probably. way. Probably. Probably. Um, I mean, uh, you, you even saying that makes me think of Amadeus. Have you seen Amadeus about uh, Wolfgang? I haven't. Actually. I've seen a scene from it, but well, there's the that great moment where they ask him. What do you want to do? Your opera in Italian or German? He's like German, please let it be German. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, just can't stand those fat sopranos. The fast, <laughs> those fat Italian sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> I love that fucking movie. It's so good. I gotta watch it. Yeah, you love it. You yeah. would love that movie. So up your fucking alley. I'm surprised okay. I haven't seen it. Um, but, uh, no, this, this, I can't believe this was half the movie. Yeah. Dude, I, every time I come back to it, like, I was so engaged and, like, I, I saw it coming to a close because, like, yeah. they essentially, you know, combined a couple scenes and it was, like, ramping down and, you know, they were like, oh, this is only the beginning. And I'm like, no, not here. <laughs> <laughs> Please, no. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, there is a, once they were, like, the first scene they were on the planet, I was like, do my senses deceive me or has it already been, like, a fucking hour, hour 15? Yeah. I think it has, so... I mean, it's a slow movie too. Yeah, like yeah. this is this is extremely slow for a blockbuster. Yeah, the pacing, the the pacing's a masterclass though. Um, oh yeah. Or not even the pacing, the rhythm of it because it it's slow and yet it keeps you fucking gripped. Right. Uh, the entire time, and they have that interspersed action, you know, which you know uh, satiates you. Right. Well, I mean, we we kind of have a drought of it for a while. Hmm. Um, in, because like you get a little bit at the beginning. Then all you get is that kind of training sequence with Gurney Halleck. Yeah, the training, and then you have about an hour and a half before, like, anything really happens. But, like, the suddenness at which everything happens was really well done. And I think, like, was a result of you being trained to be um, to be slower, right, in, in how you're watching it. Um mm. And and like you know you're you're picking up on all these very large moving pieces and like they even do a good job at like you know um, showing showing things at a larger scale right even even like not just visually but also com- conceptually right there's all this talk of like large scale momentum and how like they're behind essentially yeah right and it's all so, it, like interrupted so fast by this extremely quick assault. Yeah. Right. And like when, when you compare, like it, it's not just, um, how should I say it? Is it? Because like a lot of films I think would have, would have focused on the action more. That would have been a larger chunk of the film, you know? But I think by, by cutting the action down even more than, than like, what you expect, right? Because like you, they could have done it in semi real time, cutting yeah. like very small moments, and there was, probably would have been like half an hour to yeah, like forty five minutes of the film, yeah, right? Yeah. But like psychologically, it makes so much more sense to only have that be ten minutes, yeah, right? Um, to only have that moment happen in a, in a flash after you'd been sitting in these long like long stretching moments of like you know discussing uh the large the larger works of arrakis right and plans spanning months and months and you know like the the issues being these more long-winded um things right to really have that um juxtaposed against this like extremely quick 
action was like that to me was such an insane that, contrast yeah yeah that that kind of like evokes the exact emotion that you should feel in that moment right no, like exactly. it, it, it almost induces that panic well that reminds right. me of the, one of the two best things i ever heard from a film teacher which is filmmaking is establishing a pattern and then break selectively and breaking your pattern right right to achieve effect right i mean when you, even when you get down to the like the fundamental aspect of film, right? Mm. Which is, I would say, juxtaposition of two things. Yeah. Right? Um, like, th- that is, I think, where you start making film, right? And, like, when... Um, like, th- they, there's that famous um, study of the of the shot yeah. of the man with the blank face, right? And they, they show him, juxtapose him next to an apple and people think he's hungry. and they... The dead man and the woman. <laughs> right, right. And like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it changes, it changes the emotion behind it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, when you see someone like Villeneuve, who's such a master of that, and like, when, when, like, the edits, even like within a single scene, are incredibly precise, right? And like, it's really cool because when when you've read the book and you like know, like, for example, they they had some really good moments of, um, like, in a scene they would cut to Jessica, mm. right? And she would have a reaction, like, she would have a face that didn't match what you thought she should be feeling. Yeah. Right? And it's because that's not what's going on within her. She's, she's a Bene Gesserit, which is, like, this order of um, of women that go, that spans back thousands of years, yeah. right? And, and their plans are, you know... Um, the, the lady even breeding. says it, right? They, <laughs> they're, they're breeding people. <laughs> well, they're practicing eugenics. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um... And their plans span centuries, right? Yeah. It's it's and like they even talk about this um, when they first get to um, Arrakis, where like they have these they have these prophecies that have been around for centuries, right? And the groundwork is essentially laid by other Bene Gesserits um, before, like like they they lay these things within the culture so that other Benny Jesters in the future that come can be um can appear as if they're soothsayers yeah, yeah. right um and and they they essentially like install religion into these planets as as a way for their order to maintain power yeah. over the centuries right um and they essentially have like keywords and phrases that they use to um to be able to adhere to these things. Right. Um, and, and it, it, it's cool. Cause you, you see them using these, these channels essentially that were created for them, um, throughout Arrakis. And, and, and like they, they kind of had a line in there from the, the, um, Reverend mother when she's leaving after she tests Paul at the beginning yeah. where she says, your path has been laid in Arrakis. Yeah. Right. Um, that's not actually in the book. The whole the whole idea is that like, um, this this was all done by a Benny Jesuit hundreds Way of years long ago. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is just something that they do everywhere that they go, right? Um, this is it was very interesting watching that because I was reminded if there's any uh, fantasy readers out there of uh, the Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Mm which has a very similar sort of like, essentially what we're talking about, space witches, right? Right. <laughs> um, to simplify it, but it has a very similar female mystical order that mm-hmm. uh, rolls from the shadow, so to speak, right, right. Uh, and tries to temper the power of man politically yeah. um, towards their own ends. And it's all about the wheel of time weaving together 
the the one the chosen one and it's like <laughs> oh yeah this is you know but that was a classic fantasy as well that came out right, right. around the same time as dune um, which is, you know, like, I, I love... It's a recurring theme on a lot of those. Right. I, I love the whole, like, flipping on the head of the Chosen One thing, too, where, like, you know, he is... Like, he is he is the Chosen One in many ways. Yeah. You know, where it's not just, like, one thing, but, like, almost all of them are just... They're, they're not, like... It's not fate. It's not... It's, it's all by design. Yeah. You know? Um, which exactly. I thought was interesting. That, like, all of That's this... Ha- interesting. Yeah, it happens... Uh, like you know, because when you have a faded chosen one, it's always like you know a, a the voice, moment of power. a voice from the future. Or Neo like, arises, right, right. And he, <laughs> he catches the bullets, right, right. Yeah, but yeah. in this, it was really the yeah, it's political work that's been done over centuries. See, right, right. Know, it's like a story, and he just takes his place in mythology, right. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. He just seizes it, and that's why um, you know Napoleon, uh, you know mm-hmm. France's uh, crown was on the ground, and I lifted it up with my sword. Yeah, um, I I love that shot. Because you have this, like, close-up shot when he's talking about his play for the throne, right? And how he yeah. wants to make a play for the throne. And Kynes calls him a boy hiding in a hole. And, I, like, I love this, how they, like, moved into this, like, wider shot to show, you know, yeah, how, like, small he was all of a sudden. You know, and how, how like, he is really just a boy hiding in a hole, you know. Mm-hmm. And how he's as far away as he, as he possibly could be from the throne. You know, yeah. Um, no, it was it was really cool. Um, okay, well, yeah. We want another half of our movie to come out. And, yeah, uh, I'm serious. I am seriously going to go and use all of my weekly things to just buy Dune tickets. Walk in there and leave. Like I might watch it again, like once or twice. But like, but I will. I will go buy three tickets a week. Yeah, uh, I mean, not buy them. I subscribe to the A-list yeah, yeah. thing, so it's all free. But like, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, watch it on repeat on HBO. I'll uh, I'll read the book and I'll watch David Lynch and maybe we'll do an episode on. Yeah, it yeah, it's... it's some. I'll probably be like one to three months from now if we do. So, and uh, yeah, we'll be waiting for the second part out, and I guess we'll probably keep you guys updated. I know we don't have that kind of reach yet, but. Uh, Fuck it, you know. We'll try to keep pushing to see where these numbers are in a week or two, you know. Yeah. For Dune. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do ups, updates at the beginning of episodes and yeah. stuff or something. Everyone right. needs to go buy two more tickets to get your <laughs> friends to go. Get your parents to go. Uh, man, if there could be a movement to greenlight the second film, that would be amazing. But Occasionally that shit works. Occasionally. Yeah. Really, it's just money, though. Money yeah, talks. we'll go post on Wall Street Bets and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, um, hope you guys enjoyed the shortish episode. I, I think yeah. we ended up talking for a bit longer. Yeah, I think we can. I think it's a good, good size. Yeah. I'll find something from uh, the master himself, Villanelle, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. We uh, What are we thinking? Hot Fuzz, maybe? Uh, Hot Fuzz, or maybe we should do uh, Edgar Wright's new uh, oh, horror yeah. film that's coming out. And also we have Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Any of those we might do. So yeah. just keep yourselves up to speed if you want to watch at our pace. Um, see ya. Bye. Denis, I have so many questions. Most of them are about June. But I thought <laughs> I'd start with a softball opener, which is, you've said that 2001 is one of your favorite films. But what would you say is the film that you've watched most in your life? Hmm. I think probably it's Apocalypse Now.
Francis Ford Coppola Apocalypse Now. Smell! You know that gasoline smell! The whole hill! Smells like... Victory! I saw that movie, I studied that movie, I saw that movie... Uh, yeah, a million times. <laughs> Not a short it's, film. It's, 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 a, it's a movie that for me is close to perfection and, and deeply inspiring. You're in the asshole of the world, Captain! and by far one of my favorite moments of cinema of all time. When you love a movie like that so much, can you notice its influence on your own work? As a filmmaker, when I, I shoot, I try to isolate myself and to uh, work with the camera like if I was the first one, which is silly, of course, because I'm, I'm the product of multiple influences. But uh, I would say that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really trying to uh, isolate myself, uh, but uh, it does. Uh, it, all those movies have, have a major influence on me, certainly. So 2001, Apocalypse Now, what else would come close in the most watched factor, like in that list? Probably uh, The Godfather is a movie that I watched a lot. You don't even think to call me Godfather. Instead, you come into my house on the day my daughter's to be married and you ask me to do murder money. Again, about the, the narrative, the, the dramatic structure. It's a movie that I uh, have a lot of fun watching too. If we go too far away in this list, then we will fall in the guilty pleasure and that's gonna be more interesting. <laughs> well, now I have to ask, if you're about to say The Minions, I cannot wait. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, uh, uh, I would say that I'm a, I'm a major Bond fan. Yeah, and, and there's nothing like a, a, a good James Bond to cheer you up, <laughs> that I would say. There is no guilt in this room, in this country, in this world <laughs> about loving James Bond. Do you have a particular Bond that you turn to? I noticed myself during lockdown, it was Roger Moore and a bit of Pierce Brosnan, but that's where I went because I just went, you know what? I need to see an underwater lair. Oh yeah. <laughs> But I will say uh, uh, that uh, the, the, the Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig movie Bond is, is still one of my favorites of all time, I will say, and Skyfall as well. Both, uh, I went through these movies several times, I must say, in, in difficult periods. <laughs> That's the thing uh, that I love about uh, making movies uh, in Los Angeles is to, give, to have the, the privilege of working with artists of that uh, caliber, I will say. I, I love the idea of putting all the chips on the, on the table mm. to take uh, I think creativity is definitely linked with the notion of risk. The nature of the project, I'm, I'm not choosing project to be arrogant, I will say. I'm, I'm not, it's not that, uh, uh, but it's true that the two, the two last projects were, were uh, quite ambitious, I must say. I think that I wanted us not to express ourselves through design, but more to really try to bring the spirit of Frank Herbert to the screen, mm -hmm. you know, to be as close as possible to the descriptions of the book. So that's why when, when you, you, you are saying that uh, when you saw the Eurotopters, it was close to what you had in mind. For me, that's the most beautiful compliment someone can 